Hello, Ross. Hello, Blake. Welcome back to Hollywood History, folks. Uh, we are, of course, your hosts. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than what we usually do. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, then you know that what we do here is we find a movie and then we critique the history inside of it. But today, we're coming up with stories that should really be made into movies that you might or might not have heard of in history class. I think we got four really good ones here. Uh, and I'm excited to get started. And this is sort of our Christmas episode where we're gifting each other these great stories. And we hope you can join us and we can uh, sort of give you a way to relax from the terrifying outside world that is 2020 and uh, hopefully end it off well. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to do a story, then Ross, then back to me, then Ross. So we got four really great stories that we're excited to tell you today. And my first story is one that I had absolutely never heard of before looking this up, and it is of Captain Runchy's Company of Colored Men. And what this was, was a group of free black settlers in Canada during the War of 1812 who fought for the British. And many of these guys had actually been former slaves in the U.S., but had escaped to Canada. Um, Of course, some of them had been free and they had just lived in Canada, but a lot of them were slaves. And they were treated a lot better by the British. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head if the British had abolished slavery completely at this point, but they were definitely treating African-American, well, uh, black people, not just Americans, far better than the United States was at this point. Um, In fact, uh, they were, some British uh, naval officers were even ordered to help any... um, runaway slaves that were heading for British ships uh, that needed help. Um, So at this point, British is treating uh, black people a lot better than the United States is. Um, So as the War of 1812 breaks out, a guy named Richard Pierpoint suggests uh, to a guy named Isaac Brock, who was a general, that they need to raise an army of black soldiers. And Richard Pierpoint is actually a veteran of the War of Independence who had fought on the British side, of course, he went to Canada afterwards. Um, now, Brock, uh, the general, officially refused, but as manpower sort of dwindled more and more, they decided to start this company of African, or I keep saying African-Americans, they're, they're British, African-British, uh, I guess would be the correct term. Uh, and it was called Captain Runchy's Company of Colored Men, and it was named after a man named Robert Runchy, who was not very highly thought of. Uh, in the British command at the time. And so this was kind of thought to be a derisive name, uh, but they would really prove their worth. Um, now, many of these men were settlers from the Niagara area, so around where Niagara Falls are. And uh, they knew the risks of going to war with America because more than likely, if they were captured, they would be killed, executed, or they would be sold back into slavery. So there was a lot of risk for these men to go and fight in the United States. Um, but they they really did uh, a lot better than anyone was expecting. They fought with distinction in a number of battles, uh, and they were also very important with constructing certain forts. Now, the first major battle that they particip- participated in was the Battle of Queenston Heights. Uh, and at Queenston Heights, the American army was given a very bloody nose when they were trying to invade Canada. Things did not turn out well for America in this battle, and they were forced to surrender to the British. Um a mess all around pretty much any time the u.s tries to invade canada it doesn't turn out well they tried of course back in the revolutionary war if you know your history um and did not end well for them 
that time either. But anyway, during the battle, the company captured an important uh, battery uh, after the death of Isaac Brock. And um, they were actually very lucky. They did not receive any casualties in the battle. Um, But they definitely proved their worth in the battle. Now, afterwards, the company came under the command of a guy named James Robertson, who was also a Revolutionary War veteran. Um, And under him, they were paid incredibly well. uh, And they even participated in construction work. Now, um, sometimes uh, someone who doesn't know, they might look at this and they might say, oh, of course, they were forced to do construction work. Well, actually, no, they were getting paid very well to do this construction work and they were off the lines. So I'm sure for many people at the time, this was some of the best points in their lives where they get to they get to live in peace and they're getting paid really well for the work they're doing. But regardless, uh, after they were done doing their construction work, they participated in another battle that was far more vicious than their first one known as the Battle of Fort George. And at the battle, the... Um, the Americans were landing to try and capture Fort George and they held off the Americans for 15 minutes and they put up an incredibly stiff resistance. They were under fire from gunboats and from the American soldiers, of course. Uh, and they were firing at the enemy from as little as 20 feet away. So practically point blank range. Uh, and although they, they stood very gallantly against the Americans, eventually the pressure became too much and they were forced to retreat. Um, one man was wounded and another was taken prisoner and died in captivity and two were missing. Uh, and uh, after the company was forced to retreat, uh, they only participated in smaller clashes up until the end of the war. And upon their return home, many of them had their benefits withheld, uh, and it took them years for even their children to get their benefits. So kind of a sad ending to this story. But I, I do think it's a brilliant story. It reminds me a lot of Glory. Um, you have this great chance for uh, these people to like, get revenge against America for enslaving them, or or at least purchasing them uh, from the people who didn't slave them. Uh, and it's a really interesting perspective, you know, where America's the bad guy. It's, it kind of reminds me a lot of Dances with Wolves. Um, and of course, that movie, we'll have to do that sometime, Ross, because oh, I know we sure. both love that movie. Um, brilliant film. Uh, you know, there's plenty of chances for great action scenes. You know, I, I love me a good battle scene. We were talking about that when we talked about A Bridge Too Far. We love these just giant battle scenes with a billion uh, with with tons of extras in them uh so i think there would be a great chance for that um and it would be interesting to to see this part of history that's not talked about much you know this is something i talked about when i was talking about tecumseh a few episodes back uh about a story that should be a movie is that you really don't see very many stories about the war of 1812 uh, it's unfortunate because there are a lot of great stories um, so that is my first story. Now, Ross, I know you have a story that is not talked about as much. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and jump into that? All right. Um, well, I'll be telling you guys about the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, it's not usually talked about in school because, I mean, it's people fighting over alcohol. And this is not uh, during the Prohibition or anything like that. This is actually one of the first acts of the American government um, on a domestic product. Um it was the first tax product. Uh, it was the tax whiskey. Uh, so beer back then, you couldn't really transport it very far because it would spoil or go bad because you couldn't keep it refrigerated and stuff. So people would just end up not being able to sell beer. So these farmers would just have a bunch of extra um, wheat, barley, corn, or whatever, and they would just make it into some whiskey and make a couple not just a couple bucks. They'd make some pretty good money off of it. Um, just, just 
I mean, I mean, these these guys were just having fun um, and making whiskey, um, and the U.S. government decided to tax it to try and get out of the debt that the Revolutionary War caused, which was huge. I mean, it was basically the French and Indian War debt all over again, which caused some people to go a little a little crazy over getting a tax. Um, so it was about six hundred armed. Like just rebellious people from uh, Pennsylvania, and what I really like about this story is it's just a bunch of rednecks. No offense to anyone, but they didn't really do anything. They just stood in the streets and had guns. That's very American, right there. <laughs> very very American. fighting for your alcohol. Uh, <laughs> but why I think this would be a good movie is uh, just because if they kind of like took the um, like the government side of this and just kind of showed like the thought process of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, because this caused huge debates in the, in the house and stuff, because the government basically showed up with lots of troops and spent lot of, lots of money dealing with these 600 people that were going after, or that were trying to evade tax. So think about that. Someone is committing tax evasion. There's a group of people committing tax evasion, and you're going to send almost whole battalion to deal with them and disperse them. Uh, it's never been, never. I haven't seen it in my lifetime, uh, but I do think it would be pretty funny to <laughs> it'd be pretty funny to watch in a movie and you could either make like a comedy out of this or you could make a really serious uh, movie basically on just a bunch of drunken <laughs> outragers. Uh, anyways, I'm, I'm getting carried too on about the whiskey, but um, no, I yeah. think you're right. I think that would make a brilliant comedy. Um, you know, comedy isn't something that you often see in historical films, but when it's done right, it can be done. Oh my goodness, it could really be, well. It could be a good crash cash grab. I know, I'd watch it. I think it'd be hilarious to see. Yeah, I mean, it's so American. You have you have hundreds of people, people fighting for their whiskey, getting guns, fighting for their whiskey, <laughs> and evading taxes. And I think you hit on an interesting point there about how America's in debt at this point. You know, this is very early in its history, like 1790s. The the Constitution just passed. Yeah. What 1789? This is a very dangerous time for America to start up with the rebellions because. It could it very easily America could fall apart. You remember, um, right before the Constitution, you had the Articles of Confederation, and that failed. Well, if, so if the constitutional United States falls apart, it, democracy uh, is not looking too good. If if that happens, so very serious situation that that the founding fathers have on their hands. You know that the, they they have a rebellion just a couple of years yeah. in, and. Um, I think you're, it's very interesting that you have uh, thousands upon thousands of militiamen bearing down on these 600 or so guys. And um, I'm oh, sure this was this was one of the earliest actions ever performed by the U.S. armed forces. Yeah. Uh, so that would be interesting to see. And George Washington. Yeah, you. everyone loves George Washington. Yeah. I mean, he, he shows his face and it's already a blockbuster. Hit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we talked about in the Patriot He's a complicated man, but that's what makes people like that interesting is that they're not these simple cardboard cutout figures. Yeah. They they have something more to them. They have character flaws. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, I would like to see that. Either 
there's two ways you could take this. You could make it into a comedy, or you could take a super serious route and take it like how Lincoln was, uh, and just how it showed like um, basically what goes on in like Congress and stuff like that, and the debates and the debacle. Because in all reality, this caused a huge wedge between the big government, big and the small government. So you have Jefferson, and you have the federal. You have the Democratic Republican Party, and then you had the Federalists. So, I mean, this was a huge wedge because Thomas Jefferson thought it was complete overkill to send in all of this militia, all of this money, all of this. When you don't have any of that, I mean, he spent, you're spending all this money to deal with this group of people that are committing tax evasion. Uh, all for for what? To prove that you're the big boys? Exactly. Uh, so that, was, that was Thomas Jefferson's view on it. Um, and and it's, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the United States – one of its founding principles, at least at the time, was we don't want to have a giant military. We don't want to have no. to do anything except protect ourselves. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't end up happening. But, you know, it's at this point, they probably still had that idea, and that was playing in their minds very much. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I think this would be either you could make it a really funny comedy or serious. Either way. It'd be a fun little move. I'm not saying it needs to be like Steven Spielberg or some huge director. I'm no. saying this is like one of those, this is one of those like Netflix feature films that's funny, fun or a mini series. You can do a mini series. Mini series would be good too. Yeah. Um, either way. And you, like you said, you had the Federalists in there, and everyone's into Hamilton right now, so you could oh, yeah. fit that in. Uh, and that's on Disney Plus. We can do that. I've I've heard I've heard <laughs> that that's not. A, I heard it's not a very accurate portrayal of history, but uh, we can we can discuss that when that co- when that inevitably comes up. We'll certainly do that at some point. People might get mad at us for not liking it, but <sighs> you ready to move on to the next one? Yes, I am this, ready to get away from whiskey. This story, I is one of the most. I know I said that about the last one. This is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. This. Uh, there's a YouTuber named Potential History who does a lot of World War II stuff, uh, and he did a video on this subject, and the way he put it was, this seems like World War II uh, fan fiction. It is uh, an almost unbelievable story. It's incredible. And uh, <clears throat> the subject of this story is a guy named Joseph Byerly. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, B-E-Y-R-L-E, Byerly. Uh, and he was born in Michigan in 1923, uh, and as as many people did growing up in that time, he suffered from the Depression. And when World War II broke out, hey, it's an easy way to just get away from your problems. It's uh, you've you've grown up all in the 30s, you've suffered, and you just you probably want to get away from home at this point, at least for a little while. I know that was the way a lot of people felt. Um, I'm sure my grandfather felt that way uh, when he went into the war. So at, at this point. Uh, a lot of people are joining the military just to escape uh, home for a little while. And he joined the 101st Airborne. And, of course, if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, you know the 101st Airborne. Um, they they know what they're doing. and uh, They're airborne infantry, which means they jump out of planes, they parachute down behind enemy lines, uh, and they do a lot of exciting stuff. And uh, Byerly was definitely into that. Uh, and in April and May of 1944, prior to the invasion of France... He participated in behind enemy lines, uh, sort of secret missions, uh, this really cool type of commando secret agent type stuff. Uh, he helped with sabotage. 
He helped deliver gold to the French resistance. So already this story is, is to me, uh, worth a movie on its own at this point. But it gets it's better. It's like a real-life uh, James Bond. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, like, Ian Fleming could not come up with this. Um, <laughs> so anyway, on D-Day, he jumps in with the however thousands of, of other airborne personnel, and he ends up getting lost uh, behind enemy lines. And while he's lost, he starts to, uh, starts to perform sabotage on uh, German equipment. But he's captured. Uh, and anyway, finally he's captured. He's not happy about being captured. He escapes twice. Uh, but the second time he escapes, he and this group of other guys, they're like, okay, uh, we want to try and reach Soviet lines. So what we're going to do is we're going to find a train uh, that's heading towards Poland. And we're going to board it. And when we get there, we're going to meet up with the Soviets. So anyway, they get on the train. However, they realize very soon that the train is not heading for Poland, but is instead going for Berlin, which is the opposite direction that an American GI wants to be going in 1944. So anyway, he's recaptured. Uh, he's tortured by the Gestapo until the German army steps in on his behalf, and they say, nope, he's a POW. He's got to come with us. So the German army takes him back. He escapes again in 1945, he gets to Soviet lines this time. <clears throat> he goes up to a tank crew with a pack of cigarettes in his hands. Because that's apparently that's very American. He says, Amerikanski, Tovarich, which means American comrade. Uh, and so the Soviet tank crew take him up. Uh, he meets with a very famous uh, tank commander. And forgive me if I pronounce any of these names wrong. Uh, Alexandra Semusenko. who's actually a woman. Uh, uh, who was, of course, a part of a tank crew. And he eventually convinced her to allow him to fight with the Soviets on the Eastern Front. So for like a month, he fought with a Soviet tank battalion. He did some demolition stuff with them. I mean, this is crazy. Uh, and he eventually helped to liberate the POW camp that he escaped from. <laughs> so anyway... This is real. I'm not making this up. This is real. He he gets injured in a Stuka attack, and he gets to meet with an incredibly famous general. If you know anything about the Eastern Front, you should know this name. His name is Yorgi Zukov. Very famous general. Helped win the war. Uh, that's a whole story on its own. But anyway, he meets with him, and Zukov gives him a piece of paper that allows him to get back to American lines. He learns, once he makes it back to American lines, that he was declared dead after um, after a group of Americans found his dog tags. And so when he was considered dead, a funeral mass was held for him in a church in his home state of Michigan. And upon his return to the United States, he married his girlfriend in the same church where his funeral was held. <laughs> this, is a, this is gold. <laughs> I know. No one's touched this. He... He is the only soldier from World War II to have fought for both the Soviets and the Americans. This is, I didn't make this up. This is real. And, oh my God, there are so many ways that this could make a fantastic movie. You've got a, a, a crazy, interesting story. There's a ton of action. You get to see the Eastern Front, which is something that's really not touched upon a lot in Hollywood films. I mean, there's so much that can be done with this. Uh, I mean, you've got... Or even a miniseries. And just... Exactly. <laughs> jailbreak 1, Jailbreak 2. <laughs> so you could do... You could do a combination of 
uh, like the Dirty Dozen when he jumps behind enemy lines, Band of Brothers when he jumps on D-Day, uh, you have The Great Escape when he tries to escape the POW camps. You've got, I don't know, just any movie about the Eastern Front where he's like on a T-34 killing a bunch of Germans. I mean, there's so much opportunity here for a fantastic film or miniseries. No one touched this. Why? I, I can't tell you. I mean, this is brilliant. I not tell you. This, I, and again, comedy gold. It's it's brilliant because it's I mean, it's so it's 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 too crazy to believe honestly that that this could happen to one person. On, <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. And he like meets all like the greats and stuff. Yeah, he's meeting these famous people. I mean, this is like some World War Two fan fiction, right? Yeah, here. it's all like, made oh, up. How he could? I mean, I don't even know. Uh, you just gotta please, if you're listening to this, look into this guy more because there's a whole lot to this story, and it's just if you know, if for some reason you know a Hollywood executive, get get to them on this one, please. I would give anything to see this made into a movie. Um, I don't know, Ross. Do you have any closing thoughts on this one? I mean, this this man is just all out. <laughs> yeah, he's getting around. I mean, what's next? He meets uh, he meets Truman. I mean, what? Yeah, what sure. With this guy. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of uh, the Inglorious Bastards, uh, which is oh my god, that's a fantastic movie. I don't. It's not a very historical film, but it's a great one. Uh, and we'll we'll maybe talk about that one at that point where you just have all these people doing this crazy stuff. Oh man, yeah. But I'd love, I would love to see this made into a movie. I mean, the Eastern Front. You don't see the Eastern Front a lot in Hollywood movies. I mean, no, it needs to be touched on more for sure. We'll do. We'll we'll definitely do Enemy at the Gates at one point, which is a a a great movie, but entirely completely fictitious. Like none of the stuff in that movie is accurate in the slightest. Uh, fun movie though. Uh, but yeah, geez, like there, there's so much to touch on there. That just so much action. Yeah, so I mean that's really. just that's money just sitting around. I mean you just you pick that up and run with it. <laughs> yeah, no one's touching it. It's right there. But um, yeah, that's right. the story of Joseph Byerly. Go look into him more. You might you might enjoy that. Now Ross is going to finish us out with one of the greatest all time. World War II stories, and I'm sorry that I'm sorry that this episode is very heavily war focused. That's just I think what we're most interested in and most knowledgeable about. But uh, yeah, go and ahead. it makes good movies. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Who doesn't want to see guns and shoot? We're Americans. I mean, come on. Yeah, there's <laughs> uh, there are some people who are like I like it when they talk more, and it's like eh, that gig. It's did. all right. I mean, Lincoln was great, but uh, I want to see guns and explosions and stuff. Uh, so I'm pretty sure if you know anything about history or anything about World War II, you've seen the P t- or the P-40s with the teeth and the eyes of the – well, the, people don't always put together – that was the Flying Tigers. I mean, they create – that was their signature look, and they terrorized Japanese um, militia or armies and stuff like that. Um, and they, this all started in 1937 uh, when Japan attacked China. Um, and they there had been little things before that where they the were, invasion of Manchuria yeah. is obviously probably the the biggest. Uh, I mean, you can there's a lot of history to cover on. Whenever next year, uh, this year we were planning to do a Pearl Harbor 
uh, episode that unfortunately got canceled next year. We'll do that Pearl Harbor episode for the 80th anniversary. There's a lot of history to cover as far as Japanese imperialism goes, but yeah, yeah. And it's vastly untouched. I mean, other than maybe uh, Hacksaw Ridge or some of the Iwo Jima movies, uh, Unbroken. Both Unbroken. of those Clint both of ooh, can't talk. Both of those Clint Eastwood uh, Iwo Jima films. We'll have to do those. Those yep. are both brilliant. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think um, with the signature look and everything, I mean, you are just asking for a beautiful. I mean, if you cinematically do this, I mean, this would be a beautiful movie to watch. I mean, you'd have these fantastically done p40s as they attack japanese and i think the story is really cool too um it all starts out with um captain claire chenault um so china reached out to the united states um and was asking for help so the united states got together a group of volunteer airmen who were led by claire chenault um he was what was so good about this was China was paying them lots of money. Um, they made three times the amount that they would have just being in the normal Air Force. And they li- they, they had a really high success rate. I mean, these, these guys weren't bad in any ways. Um, they shot down 296 enemy aircraft. Uh, that's a ton. Firm. If you don't that's, know anything about yeah. war, that's a massive amount. And there's only about 180 of them. Um, and the only people, there was only 14 that, dot or that were shot down but that that wasn't all the key killed in action oh my goodness I'm struggling over my I'm fumbling over my words uh, yeah that's that's kind of a theme with us too we're not we're not the most uh yeah you come here to listen to our ideas not our elegant speech no. eloquent elegant whatever the word is i don't i don't give a damn yeah but i just think this would be an amazing movie um so the it was it was like the it was a avg was the it was volunteer airmen something it's long and boring who cares Uh, something something air group probably yeah something like that who knows Um, they transitioned into the 14th air force which is still going on today Uh, it's not in China anymore but um, Uh, obviously (laughs) Um, but they were mainly a huge problem for Japan, 1941 to 1942, although they did continue throughout the entire war. It was mostly just the beginning stages, uh, especially right, like, beginning of, they, they jumped in in April, 1941. Uh, and when Pearl Harbor happened, this was the only thing that kind of was like, go America, because every everyone else was just depressed about Pearl Harbor. I mean, this was the first time in a long time that America had been attacked. Um, and it was bad i mean no one uh, at this point we don't know how important carriers are this isn't something that america's going to figure out probably to like the battle of the coral sea in may of 42 we don't know how important carriers are so at this point almost all of our capital ships in the pacific are gone Uh, japan has invaded a massive amount of territory they've taken out the philippines they're at war with the united kingdom now because the united kingdom promised to go to war with the u.s if japan ever attacked them i mean uh, another thing people don't talk about pearl harbor a massive amount of our air power was destroyed at pearl harbor over 180 planes were destroyed at the ground on on, at pearl harbor so uh america's everything at this point is just burning wreckage uh all we have left in the pacific uh are these carriers which at this yeah at this point we don't really know 
how important those are yet. So, yeah, um, at this point, things aren't looking too good for America. And you're right. This is one of the things that they've got left. Yeah. And I think what would be really good about this story would be it like Red Tails is a terrible movie. I mean, it's I'm sorry. It's not good. It is not it's good. a bad movie. This could be like the redeeming air, air, um, air force based kind of story. Just because absolutely so bad. <laughs> not to hate on a movie, but it is awful. I mean, Red Tails. Red Tails is a crappy World War II version of Glory. That's what yeah. Red Tails is. It's bad. It's bad Glory. Um, so I think it would be kind of like a redeeming movie, um, just to show like, look, Hollywood can actually make. Um, a World War II air-based movie and make it good. Because, I mean, this is... I mean, this the little... I can't even touch on all the little stories and stuff that the Flying Tigers have in them. I mean, I could talk about one mission or another, but there is just untapped resources of just... I mean, it, It's something we could totally make into its very own episode, and maybe we will in yeah. the future. I mean, hopefully um, they make a movie about it, because, I mean, this is just... <clears throat> extraordinary content you're right and there's so much like I, I i think you touched upon a great point of at this point this is all america has as one of the last things america has left in the pacific um japan is tearing apart everything uh it, the absolute brutality of the fighting in the pacific I, I, a lot of people may not realize the japanese murdered as many people as the nazis did during world war ii they murdered tens of millions of not just not just military civilians they they did a, a lot of terrible terrible things um the rape of nanking is probably the most oh well known goodness, that is a terrible um, event I, i've read a couple of books about that and it is just i mean it is just shocking how gruesome and terrifying the japanese were to yeah uh, just these cities i mean they were just I mean, awful. I mean, the Axis powers were just awful entirely. And that, I think that's yeah. what... And I know that might be overdone because, I mean, Ameri- the Allies weren't always the good guys. I mean, they are in no. World War Two, but... They're the I mean, overall they're, we do good have, guys. Yeah, we're the overall good guys. They did, they did some bad stuff. Like, let, let's, not, let's not hide anything here. Like, the Soviets and the British, they divided up Europe as to what it would be after the war. Um, America... There is there was definitely bad things we did. We were not always uh, open to taking prisoners, um, but yeah, overall, the, obviously the Allies yeah. were were on the right side of history. Um, and don't don't send us any emails about how it, history is written by the victors. I don't want to hear any crap about that. That's all. That's all bull. Um, oh, I completely forgot to mention. Uh, you guys, you listeners out there, you can send us in listener. Uh, voice messages now uh, there's going to be l- a link uh, in this episode's description that you can click on and you can send us a voice message we'd love to hear it yeah. um, not to go off on a tangent there but yeah so obviously flying tigers Japan I mean <sighs> Japan never got uh, they never took over the entirety of China China was a lot like the eastern front where you can't really take over all of China easily, all and it was all take the capital, and that's about... yeah, and it it was a meat grinder. Like, oh yeah, fif- fifteen million Chinese 
I think died in World War II. And it's not talked now, about. I mean, there's now obviously that's not as big as the 1.4 billion that live there now, but still, 15 million. That's a that's a massive chunk. The official and obviously we have no set amount. The official estimate for how many people died in World War II is 70 million. So that's that's more than a fifth. And it's not talked about at all. <laughs> and it's not. And I think not again not to go on a tangent i think a lot of that might be due to the atomic bombings which which took place the latter part of world war ii kind of captured the imagination but oh yeah the the pacific theater as a whole has a lot of great stories that just aren't touched on like uh uh, unbroken uh is a movie that shows the real just the absolute brutality that the japanese showed to prisoners um one in every four allied pow's uh, for the Japanese were killed in captivity. Something like that, I believe. One in three or one in four. Whereas in German POW camps, it was around one in 25. Yeah, so that's a big difference. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> as unbelievably gruesome. Um, and obviously as the war ground on, the Japanese just fought far, uh, harder and harder and harder um i mean if you look at sheesh the battle of iwo jima out of the twenty thousand or so japanese that were on the island 221 were captured the rest were killed 221 that's what is i'm not trying to do the math in my head it's what one in 100 soldiers survive if that if that something like that i mean I mean, they just, yeah. I that, and then Okinawa, which happened next. Um, I believe as much as half of the population of Okinawa was killed in that battle. One hundred and fifty thousand people in one battle. I oh my god, it's just uh, horrific to think about. You know, often our popular perception of World War Two is is very much based on the Western Front. I mean. If you ask someone about World War II who knows nothing about it, They're they'll say, oh, mention Hitler. They'll mention <laughs> Hitler, bad. Hitler, D-Day, maybe Pearl Harbor. That's what they're going to know. Maybe Stalingrad. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about World War II. Um, and the, probably the biggest is that the Western Front was where everything happened. And uh, it's really sad because there's so many great stories. And I, the Flying Tigers... Um, yeah, brilliant, and I love the, I love the look of that P forty. Oh my oh, god, it's, it's a great looking I mean, plane. It is like every airplane that I've seen has like like if I think about it, I'm always like, what would that look like with the tiger's face? It's true, and you know one of my one of my favorite parts of watching Tora 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 and even even the mess that is Pearl Harbor is watching those P forties fly around. Oh, it's there. It's a beautiful plane. Um, I just love the look of that. It almost looks like an American take on the Spitfire. Yeah. Um, and you know, it wasn't just the Flying Tigers who did that. Um, who did that? That camouflage. There was a really cool uh, version that the British did in North Africa. But I believe it was the P forty. It might have not positive on that. Um, there's a great. There's a semi-famous picture. It's one of the lesser-known pictures of World War Two, but it still it still gets around of of like four or so P forties with the painted in desert colors with the tiger. Uh, or the shark 
Yeah, that's it's the shark, right? Yeah, that's what it, the, the shark. shark camouflage. Yeah, yeah, with the shark camouflage on the front, and it looks really cool. You can imagine that if you're a a Wehrmacht soldier in the middle of the desert, that you don't want to see one of those things flying overhead no, at any you. given time. No. Um, so yeah, that's the flying tigers. That was yeah. a great story. I think that's something. I mean, geez, there, there's just so much to talk about there that that deserves an episode of its own. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that one up because I uh, that's a great thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, shoot, the Chinese they were really ravaged by the war. A lot of people don't realize um, that they were they were one of the bigger allies of World War II, and that they really weren't like it wasn't one just wasn't one group. Um, before the war started, there had been a civil war between the nationalists and the communists uh, that had halted during the war, uh, and it continued afterwards. Obviously, the communists won. Um, the communists did some horrible stuff too. They like they collaborated with the Japanese at certain points. Yeah. Um, the war in China is very interesting. Uh, the war in the Pacific is very interesting. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on real quick before we get out of here is. Um, you were talking about how the war started over there. Um, you said it, it, you know, began in thirty-seven, and that was with the Marco Polo Bridge incident, um, which is something that you can definitely delve into if you're interested in that. And uh, obviously, they had uh, invaded Manchuria previously and renamed it Manchu Quo. Um, and uh, one very little-known story that uh, we can also talk about in the future is the Battle of Kalkin Gol, which took place two weeks before Germany invaded Poland. Uh, where the Japanese fought the Soviets. And after that, they had declared a peace treaty, uh, tenuous, of course, that stayed in effect all the way until August 1945 when the Soviets invaded uh, Manchuria. So uh, a whole lot to to speak of there, but I think um, we better better cut it off there. Before you all go, I just want to let you know uh, like I said previously, we have listener messages now. That's in. Uh, there's a link to that at the bottom of our uh, our description. So please send us a message if you have a question you want to ask us. Uh, if you just want to comment, uh, if you can point out something that we said that was incorrect, you know we never want to give anybody a, a wrong piece of information. But if we said something incorrect, please uh, please correct us. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. This has been a great year to start off with. Yeah, we are going to, um, we are not going to have a new episode um, two weeks from now, but we are going to have one four weeks from now. We're going to take a little short break um, for Christmas. Um, we're very excited for all the movies we're going to get to watch in the new year. Um, yeah, I always enjoy doing this. Oh um, yeah, this is fun. I love. The, yeah, I hope. I love the like. Yeah. What is it called? Like the diving deeper into the movie i love that like yeah and you know i learn more from doing it and i'm sure you learn more from doing it i'm not i'm not writing these episodes from memory everybody these are this is stuff i have to research myself um and so it allows me to to learn more about that stuff and i can i can always appreciate always love learning more yeah we we hope you guys have enjoyed this little journey we've been on so far and we hope you'll continue it with us uh, uh into next year yeah. Um, I want to wish you all a happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, if you just enjoy celebrating uh, December and your winter break, you know, whatever you do, I hope you have a good one. Um, yes. Same here. 
<laughs> yeah. And we, we love you guys. We love that you listen. And um, thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone.